Welcome to A Fork on the Road. I am travel guru Mark DiCarlo, and next to me is the lovely and talented traveling diva, Yenny Alvarez. Hello there. And today, we're very, very happy to share with you some uh, really cool people. Paul Barrere, mm-hmm. the lead guitar player from Little Feet, is on the show. We went to his uh, private studio in his house mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and we talked about uh, we talked about New Orleans food. We talked about... His music his and music the and history of music. Laurel Canyon in the 1970s mm-hmm. with Jackson Brown and Bonnie Raitt and Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. They were all involved in that uh, cabal of uh, creativity there. Talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk to the king of beer. Mark Wisner. Yeah. He championed something called breakfast beer. <laughs> I'll let him explain that later. <laughs> and uh, keeping with the New Orleans theme, we were at Cafe Du Monde and um, ran into about 10 Mormons. On their mission, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Mormons are not allowed to drink anything with caffeine or hot beverage. So I could never be a Mormon. They can't have coffee. And they were gathered outside Cafe Du Monde not being able to drink coffee, and I happen oh. to have my recording device with me, so we're going to talk to those delightful, fun Mormons. And then uh, we're going to close the show with another Mormon interview. They travel a lot. <laughs> well, um, that's a good thing. Yeah, I ran into Elder Joshua Butts. At the LAX airport, and he explains some of the tenets of Mormonism, specifically uh, dinosaurs. The Mormons don't really believe in dinosaurs, and you'll. So, what are all these bones? You'll have to wait till the end of the show to hear Aha. it. But right now, uh, we are headed to uh, Los Angeles, California, and the private recording studio of Mr. Paul Barrere. Rolling Stone says one of the top 10 live rock albums of all time is an album called Waiting for Columbus. It was uh, performed by Little Feet, my favorite band, I Little know. Feet's. And this is uh, the lead singer, main writer, and uh, standard bearer for the group, Paul Barrere. We are in the music room of one of the great American rock guitarists of all time, the leader of Little Feet, Paul Barrere. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Hi, Marcus, Mom. good to see you. Hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I've dragged Yenny along on this remote because as part of her ongoing musical education, I oh wanted her to Lord, meet really? one of the one of the <laughs> one of the guys that should be on the Mount Rushmore of American rock and roll. No, I don't know about that. Well he does talk like that about you. <laughs> does he? Yes, really? he does. You're like his Elvis. You know what? There are some there are some bands, I, I think everyone has this, where some like you hear a song from a band and it, it just resonates with your head, right? Sure. And and for me and a lot of people, Little Feet is one of those bands. There's just that mojo in in ninety five percent of your songs that I just dig. I don't know why, but I just do. And and yet we were never a big band. I mean we've we've always just had the same kind of uh I don't want to say cult following, but you know Loyal following? Lo- loyal, yeah. What year did you take your first national tour? Your first tour. When did you guys when first When I go joined out? Little Feet, they had already toured nationally uh, as a quartet because the first two records were done as a quartet. Mm-hmm. And then when the bass player left in uh, 72, I joined. Uh, and you and Kenny joined at the same time? Myself and Kenny and uh, Sam Clayton. Kenny and Sam came over from uh, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. And I had known Lowell since high school. Really? Fact. Yeah. So you guys are a California band. Yeah. Right. A lot of people think... Southern rock, like Almond oh, Brothers. Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And and was were you with the whole Laurel Canyon group of Bonnie yeah. Raitt and and Jackson Brown and all those guys? Absolutely. And did you all know each other? Take me back. Let's start there because I think it was such a fertile musical hotbed. What it, was that like? Well, it was incredible. I mean, uh, right at the corner of Laurel Canyon and uh, Lookout Mountain. That country store was no, no. That country store is down in Kirkwood. Oh. At uh, Lookout Mountain was uh, the old Tom Mix house, the log cabin, uh-huh. which is basically overrun by the mothers. And, of uh, invention. Yeah, of invention. And so it was um, music central, if you will. There was always music going on there. Up the road, uh, Joni Mitchell lived. Um, there was a lot of uh, music industry people up there. Jim Morrison? Jim he Morrison there? lived up there. I, I grew up right at the base of the canyon, and Lowell grew up on Mulholland Drive, but Laurel Canyon just seemed like, you know, you'd rent a house in Laurel Canyon, and it was Jam Central. And by Jam Central, you mean like 24-7? People would just hang, and you, so you all knew each other? Yeah. There was a, a very big community in Laurel Canyon. The book wasn't too far wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, um, it, was, uh, it was a great time. Uh, that's where I started my band that, uh, that Lowell liked a lot. Uh, it was a garage band up there. So when he expanded the band, he came and asked me to join up with Little Feet. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the band I was in, although we were good, we weren't going to go anywhere with a name like Lead Enema. <laughs> it, was 19- it was 1969. His friends and the staff infection. <laughs> well, we, they yeah, toured with Led Enema. Yeah. We spelled it L-E-D. Oh, <laughs> no. And we had like this really hard... hard-ass rock, rock and roll. Hard-ass rock and roll with Captain Beefheart-like lyrics. So Lowell thought this is the greatest thing he'd ever heard. You know, and Lowell yeah. came from the Mother's Invention too, right? Yes. And so he thought, you know, that we were just absolutely crazy. So it was like, a sounds like it was a big musical orgy. You had people playing in different bands, moving around. Yeah. Very creative, I would And imagine. what happened was, um, as people developed and got signed to different recording contracts, well, then people started working on other people's records. Uh-huh. You know, you'd work on a record with uh, Bonnie or, or Trep Fury or Jackson. Uh-huh. I mean, there was all these people in the canyon. So, uh, you know, when you would book a session, you go, what's he doing this week, you know? That kind of thing. But uh, we, we got hired as, as a unit to do three or four records. The Little Feet Band? Yeah, Little Feet Band. Well, it's Quite a few with Robert Palmer. Did one with Carly Simon. So these, these singer-songwriters, instead of hiring session people, they'd hire Little Feet because they knew you guys were tight and basically right, could not, walk yeah. in the door and play, right? Yeah. Wow, okay. What was the first Little Feet record that you wrote and played on? Dixie Chicken. I wrote a song on there called Walking All Night. That is a great record. Yeah. Um, and then you start touring. What year is this? Uh, 70, late 72, 73. So there's no social diseases that can kill you. There's no internet where you can get your picture taken and right. be vilified in the media right. the next day. You guys are young, you're making money, and you're rock stars. Nice Drunk. life. <laughs> Drunk. <laughs> Drunk and drugs. <laughs> They drag us everywhere. No. Um, <laughs> Tell me some fun travel stories and some fun food stories from that era. Oh, gosh. 
travel stories. It was, you know... You're traveling not in a plane, obviously. Oh, yeah, we did. Back then, we did mostly uh, plane tours. As a matter of fact, we were flying from Dallas to Atlanta to do a show. And uh, we were headlining Sopwith Camel. Remember Sopwith Camel from the Bay Area? Sort of. Did they hang out Snoopy? No, no. They were were kind of a band around the same time as Big Brother, uh, the Charlatans. uh, Okay. The 13th floor elevator, all those crazy, you know, stark naked in the car thieves <laughs> was a band from the Bay Area back then. And so we were headlining, Sop with Camel, and the opening act was a little act called Leonard Skinner. Oh, <laughs> wow. A little act. Wow. Just tiny. So we fly uh, with 23 cases of gear. Uh-huh. 22 show up. The 23rd case was the one that had all our Lowell and my guitars. Ooh. So it was like we had to do the show on rented guitars. And oh. and uh, we thought they were forever gone, but it turned out that Delta had just sent them to Puerto Rico. Oh! <laughs> for a nice little vacation. And they yeah, had the like six, six months in the Caribbean. And came back with ten. <laughs> and we got them back after we bought new guitars, so it was good. Um, What's your favorite place when, you're, when you know you're going to a city? I'm just going to give you some cities. Tell me the, like, the place you like to eat. Okay. Uh, Memphis. Memphis, um, well, I, I always do the ribs in Memphis, either at the rendezvous or there's there's a couple places out on uh, the highways. Mm-hmm. There was a, this one uh, shack that we went to, it's probably about 30 miles out on the highway, and I can't even remember the name of it, but it had a jukebox. It was filled with Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, Mississippi John Hurt, I mean, all the... All the blues. No, cats. I know Holly Wolf because you introduced me to him. <laughs> exactly. I know uh, Muddy Waters. What's Holland Wolf? Rah, rah. I don't know. I, I, I can't do it. Uh, yeah, I can't do it. He's, he growls. Um, and he used Muddy to Waters. Make the girls go crazy. Yeah. Uh, with that voice, of course. <laughs> Muddy Waters too. My favorite fried chicken in America is in Memphis. Is Places, a little shack down by the river called Gus's. Do you ever eat there? No. Well, a little next time there. Fantastic. <laughs> What's your, fav- what's your favorite hole-in-the-wall crappy restaurant in America? Well, right now it's the Taqueria around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, there's a Baja Fresh across the way, and then there's the Taqueria. Uh-huh. Well, the Taqueria is where all the Chicanos go. Baja Fresh is where all the gringos go. <laughs> right, you got to follow so the I, smart people. Yeah, I go to the Taqueria. <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's a zillion of them. Um, there's, you know, in New Orleans, there's a lot of... Um, well, there used to be. Helene's was nice like that. It was kind of unknown out of the way. Well, you're playing this no uh, this year. You're going to be at the Jazz Fest playing with a band called Dead Feet. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, it's actually just the name of the show. It's Anders Osborne and his band, his bass player and drummer. Myself and Fred are from Little Feet. Fred Tackett. Yes. And Bill Kreutzman, the old drummer from the Dead. Uh, we, we did this uh, four years ago. And we did it like two years in a row. We didn't do it last year. So I kind of got indoctrinated into the music when I went and did uh, Phil and Friends back in 2000. We toured with uh, Bob Dylan, which was a lot of fun. And that's Phil Lesh? Yeah. <laughs> so I learned a bunch of those songs then. So we just kind of mix and match, you know, pull songs out of the hat and, and play them. We do some of Andrew songs, some Feet songs, some Dead songs, some of Billy Ayuso songs. Some covers of uh, you know New Orleans music. 
It was a great show. I saw it. I get was it three years ago, whatever it was, at that big kind of Greek looking place. Oh in yeah, the Masonic Hall. And it was, it was such. It, it's the reason why you love Jazz Fest because you've got guys that can do their own gigs, right? Yeah. You and Fred could do your own show. Anders does his own show, and you pull them all together, and now you're, you're, you're skimming the cream of everybody's personal songbook. And I love seeing the people mixing together, seeing the different types of music, seeing the little feet vibe melding with the New Orleans stuff, and that's how new stuff happens. It's very, uh, to me, it is just how I think you can tell the history of a country through food. Right. I think you can do the exact same thing through music, and it's yeah. it's it's the next turning of the screw. It's an evolution. You ever go to Jacobos? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Jacobos. Talk about a great block in New Orleans. You got oh, the Maple Leaf, yeah, yeah. which which uh, Oak Street uh, is just best. Uh, what's it? John Groves from Papa Groves Park. Right. They're there every Monday, and then Jacobos, which is a great New Orleans restaurant. Yeah. And right across the street is Frenchie's art and studio. Right. Yeah. Have you ever been into a studio? No. Frenchie is, uh, he's probably one of the original guys who used to go to shows and do a painting while you were on stage. Of the band? Of the band. Oh, yeah. wow. And they're always great. They're, I mean, he's got a bazillion bands that he's painted. What wow. street is this? It's right on Oak Street. It's right across the street from Giacomo's. Okay. Like, if you're looking oh, nice. at Giacomo's, it's over here. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Don't remember. It's because you had a little too many rum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this time when you go down, go over to Frenchie's. Frenchie's is... But to me, it's like the late night shows are are really where you get... uh, I mean, the the fairground's great, but, you know, everybody's on a time schedule. Mm -hmm. Everything's kind of getting rushed in and out. Not to mention that uh, it's no longer really about the jazz and heritage. It's about who's drawing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got Arcade Fire this year. They're about as blues oriented as. Uh... And you don't know who they are. I don't know who. I mean, I know who they you are. Don't I know who are. Oh! I know who they are, but I don't have any of their music. I, it's not you know. Well, you don't have teenage girls. So. No. Oh. I mean, I'll go check them out. I, I, I always like to discover somebody new every yeah. year at the fest. But I go for the roots. The uh, uh, the the daytime stuff is great. Yeah. Then we get a little ninety minute nap, and then we go out. For the shows like uh, Dead Feet, yeah. the Dr. John tribute on the third is going to be a great show. We're going to be at that that's one. Saturday? Yeah, that's Saturday that's, night. Well, see, that's the night that I have my must-see, my non-negotiable, which is John Boutet. Oh, I discovered him at Jazz Fest. That's right? when I first heard him, and I was that was it, John Boutet. But you only like him because he's Cuban. No, his grandmother was Cuban. He's, he's from New Orleans. His music is fantastic. Really, the week between the two weekends... There's parties that you can't believe. I mean, there's crawfish boil every day. Right. Oh. You know. Oh. The, the first jazz fest I brought her to, uh, oh, at, the, at the end of one of the days, one of those torrential downpours. Billy Joel was on stage and he played and sang Singing in the Rain. Yeah. So, I love Billy Joel. That's my number one man. I, I know all the songs. So that jazz fest, I was like, that's my one non-negotiable. So it's seven o'clock. It's pouring rain. We come out of the, the inhaled, if you can believe that. We, we come out of the uh, the festival grounds there, and the taxi line is a quarter mile long. And we're standing there, and across the street, there's a guy having a little crawfish boil on his porch. And we couldn't get to the taxis. We couldn't get to the buses. No, we, were we would screwed. have. We were, we were screwed. Yeah, we were stranded there in a and downpour. There's four or five of us. And I'm very resourceful. So I'm looking around and go, okay, we can't do that. We can't do that. What are we going to do? So I look at the guy and I go, hey, how much for you to take us into to our hotel? 
And he said, oh, I'll take you. Hop on in. I said, is that your truck? And he said, yeah. And there were five of us. So he said, I'll take you. No, no charge. And I'm looking at Mark going, okay, let's go. So we jumped in and a couple of other tourists also jump in. And this man uh, drove us into um, to our hotel. And gave us a bag, a bag full of crawfish. Yeah. And it was the most delicious thing in the world. And I, mm-hmm. he taught us how to, no, you taught me how to eat it. Mm-hmm. It's like you pinch the, the tail and, and suck, suck the head. head. On the crawfish. And uh, we were eating this in the back of the truck, and it was pouring outside, and it was fantastic. It was the most incredible meal after listening to Billy Joel. And it all, I think it celebrates the, the really spirit well. of the Jazz Fest. This yeah. guy was sitting on his porch, and he saw some people getting wet and nasty. But he also knew that we were going to give him money. He knew. Well, we would have paid the cab money, but he, he did a good deed. and he, did. I thought he, it was said, just... he didn't say, yeah, I'll charge you this much. He said, I'll take you. Don't worry about it. But he made out great. So now, when you guys are jamming together, is that super fun for you? Are you? What, oh yeah. Do you look forward to it? Yeah, absolutely. I just did one. Uh, I did uh, Andrew's uh, holiday special in December. Just myself. Fred didn't go this year. Um, mm-hmm. And it was myself and uh, Luther Dickinson from uh, North Mississippi All Star. Oh, those guys are great. And uh, Billy Ayuso again, and, and Andrews and his band. And, um, oh, we just had a great time. It was at Tipitina's. Mm. You know, all the different clubs are, are great to play, too. I mean, it's like... And it's completely different that some clubs, that, that, that most of the clubs that you find here, when you say clubs in New Orleans and clubs in L.A. and clubs in New York and even clubs in Miami, they're completely different. The music, you get to see these great, incredible musicians, you know, three feet away from you. Yeah. I'm going to be three feet away from John Boutet when I go see him. There's not, you know, LA's music scene is it's it's paltry. Yeah. Compared. It's not. And there's so many musicians that live here. Yeah. And you got you have to leave home to gig, right? Yeah, well, I mean, everything went to you know you got to pay to play, basically. Right. You got to what? Like, what? What do you mean pay to play? There's, yeah. there's in your contract you don't get a, a fee, you get X amount of tickets and you have to sell those tickets. So you oh, know, I have no clue. Yeah, the clubs, that was just are, the clubs like the are hoping lower... for you to pull people in, oh, so that yeah. they can sell them overpriced yeah. alcohol. If you're not well known, but, if you're well yeah, known, thought... well, then they'll sell tickets. You know. Okay, but I think you guys are in a category that you don't have to. Do oh, that. sure, but you know the, the money's not that great to oh. play. You know, I, I think there's a little there's a little trend that um, uh, Dan Navarro is bringing back. Yeah, doing house shows. Yeah, Did you yeah. hear about that? There's a lot of those. Happening. When I first moved to LA, I heard about private, exclusive private concerts where you would, you know, get a bunch of your friends and listen to, you know, Bon Jovi and listen to all these people play in a fabulous Hollywood mansion. <laughs> and now I think Dan Navarro is doing the same thing. He's bring, he's doing you and Fred, shows. You, you and Fred do a show like that. I saw. I remember saw you at McCabe's once. It's just your two acoustic guitarists, yeah. Yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah, but we've never done a house concert here. There's there's a couple places that do them. One's out in Thousand Oaks, and those are more of the folky kind of ones. I think mm-hmm. what she's talking about is like in a really nice, fancy place with you know full. Oh, no, and wherever. I mean, the ones I heard yeah. ten, ten years ago were the nice Hollywood mansions right, where they would right. bring in a celebrity and somebody would book them for the day. Now, what um, Dan was doing, and we were just talking about this a few weeks back, is that instead of giving the the club half the tickets. You set up in a in a in a house, and you know you sell your own tickets, and the person that books you tells you, okay, I have these many friends that are going to come in and pay for the tickets, and you make you know 
You like a tweener the money. between yeah. two. You got two club days, and you have a Wednesday night off. He'll go do a house show for somebody, yeah. and you know. And you make all the money. You don't have to give a location fee. Right. So I think it's also great for fans because you're used to seeing people, you know, from real K in a big theater to see somebody play that way. It, it just seems. As an artist, it would be great, and as a fan, it's and as a fan, great. also you know that the money goes to the artist and not to the yeah, and I, not to the club. people. I don't think fans understand how difficult it is and how trying it is just to travel. Oh, right, the grind of. I mean, Jackson Brown's written more in Fogelberg wrote more <laughs> songs about what a bitch it is to travel. It but is. It, it's and the cost of it is it just keeps skyrocketing. Sure, you know it's. When fuel costs started rising and rising and rising, um, well, then, you know, it's only the major acts that will go out there still with, you know, the six trucks with gear and, mm -hmm. you know, four buses and all that kind of stuff because the overhead is just phenomenal. I mean, if you want to come home with any money, right? you got to kind of watch that, you know, if, you know, stay, still stay at a decent hotel. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of at the point now where I just want to make it easy and make it fun. And when you go to New Orleans, where do you eat? Uh, I go to Giacomo's. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to Cape Paul's quite a few times, which has kind of lost its uh, endearing qualities for me. Um, Why? It's just, you know, there's always a line. You know, everybody expects that they're going to see, uh, you know, the big man, Mr. Purdue. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you know. Well, the first time I went there was in the 80s. Bonnie took us. And it was great. It was, you know, it was like old picnic tables. And they served the, what they call them, Cajun cocktails, which was just a big ball jar full of vodka <laughs> with, a, <laughs> with a jalapeno in it. <laughs> Welcome to New Orleans! Yeah. <laughs> There's a place called Brightson's, which is a little bit more upper, upper scale, up, uptown. You ever been to um, Mandina's? On, like, out of the quarter on Canal, maybe a mile uh, west, it would be? I, I've seen it. But it's really good. It. Yeah. And it's far enough out of the quarter where during Fest you can get there and only wait maybe half hour or so, yeah. have a good dinner. Dude. You ever go to Manali's? Yeah. Manali's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that's the, the best of the barbecue shrimp. I don't know why they call it barbecue. It's never hit a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, and the hot iron skillet with beer and roux yeah. and you know, mm -hmm. but they serve it in a big bowl with a, with a baguette, and it's like. Whew. That's why everyone in New Orleans is four hundred pounds. <laughs> Everything's got roux and. I butter. told everybody I said I can't oh. move here. I would just you know. Well, you gotta fast for a month before you go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did the first time you took me. Yeah. And and I was off. on a diet for a whole month before I got there. And I got there and I was like, oh. Let's see. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. That's Paul Barrer. If you don't have all the Little Feet records, go get them. And there's going to be a quiz on who came from where. Oh. We're going to take the Little Feet group and you're going to have to... Do you even know who the Mothers of Invention uh, are? No, no Guess. clue. Guess. Uh, a bunch of guys that invented great music. I don't know. I mm, No idea. Frank Zappa. Oh, Okay. <laughs> His band was called The Mothers of Invention. I didn't know that. And they were progressive, yeah. punk, jazz. Well, when they first weirdos. started, they were kind of like um, just kind of graduates of El Monte Legion Stadium, if you will. Really? <laughs> yeah, he was part of the Mass Phantoms band. Wow. Uh, I, you're from New York, right? Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. So um, you wouldn't have known this, but uh, back in the late 50s and stuff, the El Monte Legion Stadium was where all the dances were, but it was like 
you know, for gringos like me, it wasn't a place you went to. <laughs> but supposedly he was one of the, the uh, mass phantoms band. They had like, you know, Richie Valens and uh, wow, all those kind of people would play out at the Amante Legion Stadium. Los Lobos comes out of you know mm. that that part of East LA. It, 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 it weaves together like a tapestry. It's all from the same tree. I mean, in the modern era, you've got muddy waters, you've got Latin influences, you've got. Uh, We're talking Creole. about the blues tree. We're talking about rock and blues. Yeah. But Rolling Stones named their band after Muddy Waters. I know. I know that story. You've told but, me uh, that story many it's times. It's a true story. When you think of, of Taj Mahal and, and what he's done with blues and Caribbean music. And, and the blending of it is mm-hmm. pretty interesting stuff. And Delbert takes his cruise down there every year. Yeah. You know, and there's some Caribbean people on that tour. and, and uh, Some Caribbean people? Who are they? He take, they go down to the Caribbean and they play. I don't know who the bands are, but it's there's there's an inflection there. There'll be a quiz after it. Okay. <laughs> well, the, See, I listen, the percussionist you know what I listen to? About his I listen play. to Frank Sinatra. I listen to the Rat Pack. So I was I. a huge Elvis freak when I was 16. Nice. Um, I listened to Latin stuff. I listened to Broadway stuff. I learned about the blues when I met you. It's not something that would come up in my life journey. You know, it's it's if I hadn't met you, I would have been like, okay, Muddy Waters who? Well, you're welcome. I've opened that entire world to you. Thank you. You're fucking welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is all about southern swampy mojo. And one day I was in Atlanta, Georgia with my friend Jimmy Palumbo doing a charity event. And we went to the uh, Sweetwater 420 Festival and ran into the King of Beer. Mm-hmm. Not a Budweiser bottle. Uh, the self-proclaimed King of Beer. name is Mark Wisner, and he uh, writes a blog called the Jack's Beer Guy. And he told me about something called Breakfast Beer. Oh, well, that sounds interesting. Well, let's find out. Here's the king of beer. We're at the Sweetwater 420 Festival. We run into the king of beer in the south. Well, this is Mark Wisson. Mark, what's the name of your blog? Uh, the Jack's Beer Guy. Okay. And you were just telling me a moment ago about breakfast beers. See, I, I didn't know there was such a thing. Well, you've got several beers that uh, they make great breakfast, uh, Founders Breakfast Stout. It's a, it's a heavy stout made with maple syrup. It's awesome. Uh, so it's good for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, beer is good for you. It's full of vitamins. For instance? Uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 you know, the beer vitamins. <laughs> so you're, what you're saying is it's on the training table with the U.S. Olympic team? Well, yeah, it replaces all the carbs they lose and all, you know. Actually, I mean, my dad used to always tell me the story when I was a kid. When Baryshnikov danced, he came off the stage, he drank a couple of beers. Right. To replace all of the, you know, the carbs and the, and the sweat and everything he lost on stage. Right. And if you can drink beer doing a manly thing like ballet. Wearing a codpiece. Right. And, you know, if you can look good in a codpiece, you can drink beer. Uh, so... You get paid to drink beer and write about it, correct? I do. Um, how, do how do you fashion a job like that? Uh, years and years of practice. Uh, the research really is terrible. How old were you the first time you had beer? And I'm not talking like a sip from your crazy uncle. Like a, finished a 12-ounce beer. Uh, 18. Seriously? 18. I don't believe you. I was 18 when what? I finished a beer. 
And you grew up in St. Louis, the, the, the beer city of America. I grew up in St. Louis, literally blocks away from the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Okay. I did grow up in a German family and uh, generally would drink from my parents' glass or my grandparents' glass. Yeah, I don't think that... That's, that's good-natured social drinking. Right. right. I mean, and that's the way it ought to be. Right. Uh, Beer's a very social beverage. What's the worst be- What's the worst beer in America? Well, you know, I don't like to burn bridges, but... Um, no, I'm talking about beer, not bridges. <laughs> um, well, let's just say... Let's, let's, let's say Bud Chilada. What is that? Budweiser Chilada is a mixture of Clamato juice and Budweiser. Oh, my friend Jimmy had Clamato once in, high, in college, right, Jim? Yeah, but with vodka, but I, I did have... No, isn't it a disease? Clamato? I mean, years ago... You took there, a shot. You can really yeah, you did two shots. You laid low for a couple of days. You were back in the game by Thursday. Sure. And the burning goes away. The burning goes away after a while. Oh, actually, that was the name of your first album. The burning goes away, wasn't it? That was the, that was the live one from Antioch? <laughs> you guys talk about beer. I like old man beer. Schaefer... Jenny Creams, Valentine Ale, Schmitty's, Red, White, and Blue. Come on, that's old school, man. Yeah, there you go. Wow, this is such a bro love fest. These guys are virtually making out <laughs> over right, beer. Man. What about Narragansett? Oh, Have a Gansett. No, we know it. I, I know. I've had that too. What's the best beer in America, Mark? And of course, this is all subjective because everyone's it's palate is different. It is suggestive. One of my favorite beers in America right now is made by Cigar City. It's their Highlight. Um, oh, it's got a nice ashy flavor. Uh, <laughs> something like that. Uh, Cigar City is, is a, a big brewer in Tampa, Florida. They have. Uh, I'm very familiar with I was actually the comptroller of Cigar City for a while. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Great beer. I just beer. learned how to spell comptroller last year. And then after I was comptroller, I was a judge at a food court in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Are you? Okay. Um, I understand at the food courts they have uh, you know a lot of different kinds of oatmeal in that area. Great, yeah. Actually, that's where I met my buddy Jimmy Palumbo. He was a bailiff in food court in my in my food court, and uh, we struck up a friendship. We put away some bad bad people though in food court. Remember? <laughs> you get the prosecutors in there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Mark, what what advice would you give the young kids today that are trying to break into the beer blogging business? Do your history. Learn your history. Understand the different styles of beer. Understand the different flavors that are available and the different flavors that are present in beers. Um, And really understand what American brewers are trying to do right now because the American craft beer scene is really where it is right now. It's better than the Germans? Believe it or not, there are several craft American craft beer companies that are actually building plants over in uh, Europe right now. Stone uh, out of San Diego in that area are actually looking for a location in uh, Europe right now. Founders, the one I was talking about earlier that makes the breakfast stout, they're just now... Uh, I know, so it's called breakfast stout. It's, it's actually called breakfast stout is, on the label? It is called Founders Breakfast Stout. It has the picture of a, of a child, a baby, eating oatmeal on its label in one hand and then a big beer stein in the other yeah, it's like a cherub you know it's more of a cherub than a child well the cherubs drink uh, all the ones I've known have and I, you know I've known a few little people 
So learn your beers. What else could the young kids today? I'm talking the kids in school that are coming up in the beer uh, blogging world. <laughs> well, really. The beer blogosphere. The blogosphere, if you will. Really, it's, it's learn your history and understand the different types of beer. Learn and make relationships with the, uh, the, the distributors in your area. Make relationships with the, uh, the brewers in your area. Learn the beers of your region because regional beer is really where it's at right now. Sweetwater, where we are right now, is a regional beer throughout the southeast. They're a great beer. They're really expanding rapidly. Um, they're a great host for this party that we're having this weekend, too. It's a great time. Thanks for your time, Mark. Thank you, sir. Enjoy your breakfast beer tomorrow. Uh, I, I will. We're at Cafe Dumont, and we happen to run into a bunch of Mormon uh, missionaries. We have Elder Larson, Elder Carter, huh. Elder Hansen, Sister Hild, Sister Hafford, and Elder Birch. I thought you guys always traveled in groups of two. Is that not accurate? <laughs> Who is going to be the spokesman? All right. So how come there's six of you instead of two? Uh, we're just because New Orleans is such a <laughs> wicked yeah, city. Get together, and make sure we're safe here. I would imagine the places that you guys go to try and make converts, New Orleans has got to be one of the wickeder cities. Would you say? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. It's a good place to be. There's right. good people too. Right? Oh, there's it's great awesome. people here, but I would imagine it's a big uphill battle. Is your approach? different here in New Orleans than it would be in maybe a more uh, godly city? I think it's all the same. You just invite people to come to Christ, no matter where they're at. And do you go to people's homes or do you roll up to them on the streets? A little bit of everything. A little bit of both. I don't know if you remember me, but I starred in a very, very, very popular Mormon movie called Mobsters and Mormons. Mobsters and Mormons. I'm a big movie star in your world. Wait, you're, you're in Mobsters and Mormons? Yeah, I'm the lead. I play the lead. Oh, wait, that's like one of my favorite play, shows. Yeah, I play the lead. So, I need you. How? I'd like to hear your rap. What you would say to someone if you're just rolling up to them on the street? Uh, like me. Pretend you're just walking up to me. Just walking up to me. And I'm sitting here drinking, smoking a cigarette, having a Coca-Cola, and thinking about committing adultery. But you're, but you don't know that. Oh man. You don't know that. So you roll up to me. All right, here I am. Just sitting say, here. I would say, Hey, are you a Mormon? No. Do you want to be a Mormon? I don't think so. <laughs> Why? Well, that's a <laughs> Why weak. Not? I'm not a Mormon, but I know that that is a weak approach. Who's got better game? Who's got better? All right, roll up, Elder Barriston. Okay. So I'm just hanging out here at the Cafe Dumont, and you roll up. I mean, and I, I would like to hear in, sincerely how you would. How I talk to you? How you would engage me? Yes. How old are you, by the way? I'm 20. Okay, so you're in the middle of your mission, right? Yeah, towards the end. How long have you been out? Almost a year and a half. All of it here in New Orleans? No, most of it up in uh, around Alexandria, DeRitter, Fort Polk. Easier to convert people up there than here? Uh, I don't know. It's different. It's, How, it's, what, are, what are New Orleans people like to talk to? Uh, it's a lot harder to talk to people in the city than it definitely is up in the country. Why do you think that is? I don't know. People are always talking to people around here. They always see a bunch of people all day. Uh huh. So, all right, so uh, let's say I'm sitting by myself. Okay. I'm, having, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm having a Coca-Cola, I'm smoking a cigarette, and you walk up on me. Walk up on you? Ask to sit down next to you and uh -huh. just ask how your day's going. Pretty good. Sweet. Well, Dude, it's 85 degrees. Why are you wearing a tie? Is what I would say. Is what you would say. So I like to look good during the day, but uh, how's, what are you doing down here in New Orleans? Uh, sinning. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, uh... You ever heard of the, the Mormon church before? I have. You have? I actually starred in a Mormon movie, Mor uh, Mormons and Mobsters. Mobsters and Mormons. Really? 
I've seen that one. I thought I recognized you. Yeah. So yes, I've been exposed to it. Cool, cool. Well, uh, well, so what do you know about it? The movie? Or the Mormonism? Just the Mormonism, the people. Uh, I know that in general, the Mormons that I met while I was working in Salt Lake City were beautiful, wonderful people. I know some of you believe that the Earth is 6,000 years old, and I personally think that's crazy. Uh-huh. I don't think all of you believe that. I don't think all of us believe that either. Um, and I, I, I admire your dedication and commitment that every Mormon gives two years of their lives to go out and proselytize. I think that's, it build, I'm guessing it builds a lot of character and a yeah, great way to see the world. It is, yeah. It gets well, to meet a lot of sweet people. What's with the skirts? I thought it was only dudes that could do this. There's two ladies on the mission here. How does that work? Oh, they lowered the edge for the sisters to be able to go out. And they actually do pretty good work, so. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. People are a lot more willing to talk to them than they are to talk to me. Well, I mean, you know, you see a couple of nice-looking girls come up to you. Guys are going to talk to them. Yeah, exactly. Right? A little yeah. easier? Yeah, I served on campus at LSU, and when we try to contact people, we always had the girls with us, and they could get people to talk to them a lot easier than right. I could. Right, But Not that you're not an easy person to talk to, Elder. You're, you're very personable and fine, but, you know, biology yeah, has yeah, its yeah. mandates. It All works, right, so right? get back to talking and converting me. So, so yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to go to church? I was raised Catholic. Okay. But I don't do that anymore. You don't do that anymore? No. You go to church right now at all? No. No? Well, if you'd like... uh... I approach every day like it's church. Like it's church? All right. That's a good attitude to have. That's a real good attitude to have. Try and be thankful, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if uh, if you want, we got church every Sunday. And, you know, it's the the good Mormon people that that you got to be around a little bit. Uh And uh, I'm sure they'd love to have you. I'm right now. I'm serving in Laplace, so I don't. I don't really know where the the word meets here or what time. But uh, we could get you that information if you're interested. Cool. And I would say, all right. Well, uh, you know, I'll come and find you if I'm interested. Then what do you say? Well, could I give you a card? Yeah, you can give me a card. Sweet. And you give me a card. I'll give you the card. And then you right. walk away. So it's kind of a low pressure thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. What do you guys if do? I could try to get your number, but we can contact you later. Yeah. It's probably be bad. I'd rather take a card. Yeah. Um, what do you guys do for fun? Do you, can you do any of the things that are popular here in New Orleans? Well, I just went to the New Era store. That was pretty fun for me. It's like being in a candy store. Right, but you, are you, no alcohol, right? No. No coffee. no coffee. Jeez, you have no idea what you guys are missing. This is the world's, we're outside of Cafe Dumont, which is a famous coffee shop, the most delicious coffee in the world. And you've never had it. Never had it. I will make you a deal right now. I will go to Mormon church for a day if you will have a cup of coffee with me. I can't do that. I can't have a cup of coffee. I'll take a glass of water, though. I'm pretty thirsty. Could you have a cup of this decaf? I can't. All right. Um, what else can I ask you? It's a tempting question, though. It is. I mean, yeah. this is not just some crappy coffee. Yeah. Any of you, can I convince any of you to have a cup of coffee with me? What, what, what's the downside of what happens to you if you have coffee? It's not what happens if you don't have coffee. It's the blessings that happen from keeping the commandments. And the Joseph Smith commandment is not to have coffee? No. Well, yes, but Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. And by revelation, he um, was told by God that to put in a new commandment. It's called the Word of Wisdom which is like a health code that we live by. But it wasn't Joseph Smith's idea. It was revelation he received from God. Okay. And specifically in those new commandments, it's caffeine is outlawed? Not caffeine, it says. Not to partake of hot drinks, such as coffee or tea. 
and tobacco, alcohol, and prescription, like abusing prescription drugs or like, well not- Or illegal drugs. Or illegal drugs. So it specifically says not to partake of hot drinks. What, what, what do you think, what, is there a logical explanation behind that or it is just kind of do it because I say so? Sometimes we don't know the exact explanation behind it, but we rely on our faith to know, to guide us and direct us. And so because we have faith that Joseph Smith was called of God as a prophet, yep. we have faith in the commandments that are given to us. So you so accept them? We accept that. And I think that like at the time that they were received, they didn't know that tobacco and alcohol was bad for them as well. In that kind of context, a lot of the saints didn't like practice that before they came out. Uh -huh. And then now we know what we know. So... I have enough evidence to believe that it's for a reason. I, might well, I can see, I can see tobacco and even alcohol. Coffee to me seems so benign. I think part of it is like you have to have a trial of your faith. Like it would make so much sense, right, well, if everything worked out. Yeah, I mean that's one way to get people to adhere to that. I was raised Catholic. I went to 12 years of Catholic school, mom. and for a long time, the Catholic said you cannot eat meat on any Friday or you will go to hell. And then 1963, the Pope said. You know what? You can. You can eat meat on Fridays. So some of those revelations turned out to be bogus. Well, I think that... And from an outside perspective, I'm just telling you, this coffee is so <laughs> darn good. This may be the one bogus kernel on that whole Mormon cob. Well, I have complete faith that it's not bogus because I believe in modern-day revelation. Okay. And I guess if the prophet of our church came out and said differently, then... I got it. Modern. They sell iced coffee. I do not drink iced coffee. coffee. But you said the prohibition is against hot drinks. But it says it's hot drinks, specifically coffee and tea. It does say specifically. What's the punctuation? Is it a colon or a semicolon and then coffee and tea? Well, we'll find out for you real quick. Because if it's a colon, what it's referring to grammatically is hot drinks such as coffee and tea. Therefore, cold tea and cold coffee I wouldn't think would be covered. Now, I'm not a uh, biblical scholar, but I, I do have a degree in communication, so I think my grammatical information, punctuation-wise, is accurate. Okay, read it, read it for me. Give me the section and the verse and the whole bit. This is the Doctrine and Covenants. It's, this is at the time it was received, but modern revelation has added upon it. Read what it says. Okay, go for it. I'm going to get the Sister Hill, do you want to read out of that? Sure. And behold, this should... Oh, hold on. Let me go back a little bit here. Well, at the same time, it's also with modern revelation. Okay, what does it say? Like, so this talks about how... The, it says, The Lord revealed the word of wisdom to the prophet Joseph Smith. In this revelation, we are warned to abstain from alcohol, tobacco, and hot drinks, meaning coffee and tea. Later prophets have taught that we should not use any substance that contain illegal drugs or harmful and addictive substances. So, basically, it's... As, as temptations, and, or as like we're put in new circumstances, we receive additional revelation for additional protection because we don't have to face the same things that people in biblical times right. have to face. Unlike the Catholic Bible, which hasn't changed in 2,000 years and they still think it's verbatim. But this does say that I think there's a shade of interpretation there because yeah. it says, I'm saying from alcohol, tobacco, and honey, meaning coffee and tea. But it's, I think that's referring to hot drinks. I mean, it's always up to your individual agency. And I know that for me, I believe that I, I will receive the most blessings from being exactly obedient to me and that's to me that means not partaking of coffee or tea at all and I believe that I'll be blessed for that decision but other people can make whatever decision they want to I don't think they're going to go to hell but they're going to have to 
do things that they they're gonna have to learn in a different way. You get in what you put um, out of it. So yeah. if you put in, if you're a wholehearted, definitely, you put your whole heart in. You, in theory, will get your whole heart out. Yeah. That's that's. I think that's an excellent approach, Sister Hannah. However, Sister Hild, you seem a little weaker, a little more like I could bend you to my will if I really try. Right. She keeps. She helps. So, are you tempted to try the frozen coffee? Not at all. Frozen iced tea? Not at all. Chilled iced tea? No. Iced tea frozen to absolute zero, so that if you actually drank it, water sounds fantastic, and ice water sounds even better. I don't think they sell that here at the original (laughs) French Market coffee store. I got a water bottle, but I got a water bottle too. I come prepared. I appreciate uh, your time that you spent with us chatting, all y'all. Uh, I really wish I could be the one to indoctrinate you into iced coffee because you would love it. You would freaking love it. And you'd have so much, since you've never had it before, you'd have so much extra energy, you would convert half of this town in like a week. You guys would be on fire. Well, thank you. And, and uh, you know, God bless you and have a great, have a great missionary. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you. Great kids. Yes. And you know what? Very it's, sweet. It's it's an interesting thing with the, the Mormon faith. It's very insulated and um, cloistered in Utah, mm-hmm. yet they all have to. When they turn 18, they go all over the world and they interact with other cultures and they mm-hmm. try and spread, you know, love and happiness and, and their philosophy. And they are, they're, everyone I've ever met is um, the fun, happy-go-lucky, mm-hmm. intelligent people. And they travel and they keep their values when they travel. They do. They they won't be uh, misguided by us wanting them to drink coffee. And man, I tried. Ooh, I tried. They and were totally okay with it. They I were know. Like, mm, I know. Very sweet. How do very you stand nice. outside of Cafe Du Monde with the flavors of that chicory coffee wafting it's just through the not air? their thing. Yeah. I just, I don't know. We can't put our values into someone else. That's true. I just, it's hard for me to envision a, a, a going to hell because you had a cup of coffee in New Orleans. <laughs> Wouldn't that be happens. funny? You live a great life. Well, you did everything correctly, but you had a, a coffee. A tiramisu and there's coffee <laughs> in there. New Orleans, you are damned forever. But, no. but, but. No. no. They were very sweet. Uh, very entertaining. And they were certainly having the time of their lives. Mm-hmm. I ran into a single, a uh, solo Mormon at the LAX airport not long after that. And uh, he shared some of the more interesting codicils of the uh, historical beliefs of the Mormons that I thought uh, were fun and interesting and that... Let's go listen you to might, his You might want to hear them uh, because he was a very intelligent, uh, wonderful person with some very interesting views about <laughs> history. We're at Los Angeles International Airport and I'm talking to a returning Mormon missionary, Elder Joshua Butts. Welcome to A Fork on the Road, Joshua. Hey, it's good to be here. Some people may not know how the whole Mormon missionary stuff works. Explain to me, how old are you right now? Uh, I'm 21. Okay, so what happened when you turned 19? So when I turned 19, I filled out some paperwork, sent it into the church headquarters, where the right. prophet is, and they um, go through a process where they receive revelation where each missionary needs to go, and I was um, chosen to go to Perth, Australia. So you went right from Salt Lake City to Australia? Oh, well, I went from Salt Lake to um, Alabama at first because I was waiting for my visa. My mm-hmm. visa didn't come through. Um, and so I stayed there for about a month and a half. And that was a first culture shock. Uh-huh. And then the second one, <laughs> going from there to Australia. Which was the bigger culture shock, Alabama or Australia? Um, Alabama was pretty big just because... Uh, <laughs> 
you just going around to Walmart and everyone looks, uh, they're just all staring at you because you're the only white guy around. And the only guy wearing and, a tie. Uh, and the only guy in a suit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you get to Australia and there's just a little bit of everyone there and uh, you're driving on the other side of the road. Right. And that's a pretty big shock, first of all, especially when you're assigned as the designated driver. <laughs> Right, no beer. Well, you guys can't drink beer at all, right? No, no. No beer, no coffee, no Coca-Cola. Oh, no, we can... So, the official rule, if you could say quote rule, right. is no alcohol, coffee, tea, tobacco products. It's a missionary life-like. Sometimes they'll put mm -hmm. it up um, for four-man apartments. Um, those can be sometimes distracting, though. It's usually... They usually have two men mm -hmm. in each house, and you... Um, so you study from 8 to 9, 9 to 10 you, do, you study as companions, and then you go out the rest of the day, uh, find creative ways to find people to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to. A lot of time the, the fallback is just going knocking doors, right. but you try to come up with creative ideas. Um, once I was up in Karatha, that's a bush town um, in WA, and we did some sand sculptures of temples. Um, I did... Oh, so people would come and look at the sand sculpture? Yeah, and, and they'd say, oh, what is that? I'm like, oh, this is a, it's a Salt Lake Temple. It's like a Mormon temple. This is where families can be sealed for eternity. And it, it brings up conversation. And a lot of times <clears throat> we're able to give away Book of Mormons from doing that. I've seen a Book of Mormon on Broadway. My mission was an opportunity for me to find new ways to use my skills because we're not really allowed to use computers on a mission much. You can't use computers? You can use them at a library like once a week for emailing your family for an hour, um, but that's about the extent of it. Why can't you use computers like everyone else uses computers? Well, because a lot of missionaries would, it would be distracting. Are you allowed to have any fun on the mission? Yeah, absolutely. Every um, Monday is our preparation day, or a lot of missionaries call it our P-Day, and so um, we just spend the day, that's where we email our families, and the rest of the day we can prepare, um, go shopping, do sports. Sometimes we usually like to go hang out at the chapel, play some games, or practice piano, just mess around. Mm -hmm. So you can't play sports the other six days of the week? No. It does seem like there are a lot of rules, though. A lot of rules. Yeah. You don't find that constricting or stifling? No, I'll be honest. Like Sometimes like I've woken up and I'm just like, okay, well, we have this person investigating the church and they want to be baptized, but we have to do this. Oh, we can't do that because the rules causing a problem. And sometimes you feel like... You're in prison, and in a sense, you could say you are in prison. Yeah, I mean, you have your. It sounds like it to yeah. me. When you align your will with God's will, then you know you're following all the rules, and it does seem to weigh you down a bit. But I've found miracles in obeying God's commandments. God just doesn't always give reasons for things that we should have faith in the commandments mm -hmm. and not faith in the reasons, because a lot of reasons for the commandments are man-made. Yes. That's what I would think. How old do you think the, the, this planet is? It says in the Bible God created the earth in six days, but you know we don't know the definition of a day for God. Right. Um, but as far as what we believe, we believe that it's been 6,000 years since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You can carbon date dinosaur bones. They can date them to 60 million years ago, 65 million years ago. How do you explain that? For all we know, there were dinosaurs living on the other side of the earth while Adam and Eve were there, maybe. Um, maybe they were uh, in the earth bits that God created the earth with. We really don't know where they came from. And so all we know is that God did it, do it somehow. And Science gives us medicine that keeps people alive, right? Yeah. 
a lot of the scientific tenets have proven to be true in everyday life. These carbon dating methods are non-disputably accurate, and they say the bones are 60 million years, which is a huge difference from 6,000 years. But in reality, we don't know. We don't, we're not here to say that um, dinosaur bones were taken from another planet. Uh, we don't really know where they came from and how it works. I mean, maybe God created dinosaurs and then he created Abenuf on the same planet. And so well, yeah. there's, okay. a, there's a lot of different explanations. That's not something that God's really told us yet. And so well, what I found is just living uh, the principles of the gospel, faith, repentance, baptism, then that's where I've been able to learn more. And yeah, and you know what? You're right. No one can argue with those values. It's all the little details that sometimes sound uh, silly. At least to me. I was raised Catholic. Oh, yeah. And virtually everything that they taught me, I think, is silly. <laughs> so, you've traveled the world, right? You were born in Salt Lake City and you got to go to Alabama and Australia. I really love it down south. There's a lot of, um, a lot of surf beaches down there. I mean, coming from a guy who's never seen the ocean before, really, <laughs> and you see, like, these waves that are five feet tall and all the Aussies are saying, oh, these are wussy waves. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, like, well, these are the the biggest waves I've ever seen in my life. I've never even seen a real wave before. Did you go in the ocean? No, I didn't get to go in the ocean, obviously because of the strict rules that we follow. But You can't go in the ocean as a Mormon. Why is that? It's pretty obvious that missionaries would get distracted if they're allowed to go in the ocean. I mean, how many missionaries would just want to go swimming all the time? I mean, myself, I was a lifeguard before my mission, uh -huh. and I had a swim team, and so, like, if I was allowed to go in the ocean, I would want to be in it a lot, I'm sure. Now you're going to go, you're headed back to Salt Lake City today, right? You're going to see your family and your girlfriend for the first time in two years. What, what are you going to do in the next couple months? Uh, honestly, I'm planning on hopefully getting to know my girlfriend a bit more. And if, if a marriage um, is something that can happen, uh, I'll probably hit that off and then get a job. And I'll, I'll need to work for a year, and my plan is to go to BYU mm -hmm. or Brigham Young University in a year. I do a lot of art, obviously. Graphic design mm -hmm. is my main field, but pretty much anything involving art. Well, good luck to you, oh, thanks. and thanks for talking to us. I appreciate yeah. it. And uh, have a great trip home. Oh, thanks a lot for that. It's good to meet you. And that wraps up our Southern Fried episode. Big thanks to the King of Beer, the Café Dumont Mormons, Elder Joshua Butts, and of course... One of the architects of American rock and roll music, Mr. Paul Barrere from Little Feet. Now, the band's name is Little Feet. Mm -hmm. Does that make him a foot or a toe? I think he's that big toe right now. He's the Sergeant Hulka of the band because Lowell passed <laughs> away in 1979. Oh, big toe. Uh, yeah. I, um, I, uh, the story I heard was that Little Feet referred to Lowell George, the uh, founder of the band and the main writer, that he had very little feet. But he was a big, you know, relatively... A big guy with little feet? Yeah. Is that where the name came from? Yes. But huh. it's F-E-A-T, like a feat oh. of amazing musical genius, which is what Very they apropos. are. Yeah, if you don't own it, go buy Waiting for Columbus. It's a live double record, and it captures the band at their absolute creative peak. And I defy you not to boogie around your house when you're listening to the feet. So that is our Southern Fried episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, keep listening. Thanks for purchasing and enjoying our best of series here with the good folks from Blackstone Audio. Until the next one, I'm Mark DiCarlo. And I'm Yenny Alvarez. And we'll see you at a fork on the road.